Alex Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Boy, we smarten up the show today, big time. So we just talked to Xavier Pope, attorney, Rutgers Law, brilliant guy. Uh, Justin Watkins is in, and then following Justin, we're going to talk to uh, Lee Steinberg, super agent, who I think has a little experience with the law, a little bit. Yeah. So we'll get into uh, what's going on with Lee as he's got an agent camp convention coming up here in Vegas and get his take on uh, all the stuff going on with professional sports around Las Vegas. Did you ever want to be an agent, Justin? I still want to be an agent. I was going to say, it kind of <laughs> makes I think it would, I think it would, it would fit you. Yeah, no, I, it's, you know, I did sports law in, in law school thinking, yeah, I'd love to be an agent or, or, you know, in any sort of front office or administrative role like that. But the reality is you got to commit yourself to that move early and stick through it through a lot of lean years in order to make that go. And uh, I didn't have the sort of financial upbringing and support in in my educational endeavors that I could do that. I had, I had a lot of school loans that I had to get start paying on. So I needed a job that paid right away. I think you got the connections now. I'd, I'd like to see you jump in. Okay. Well, talk to Lee. Put in a good word for me. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, register for the camp and, uh, and get on board. So I, I was hearing the end of your guys' talk. Uh, I agree Twitter's dead. I just need to know where to go. It's the worst time for Twitter to be dead when there's no sports going on. I know. So, like, I don't know. I, I, I can't get on board with Instagram because people are taking videos and pictures of sh- stuff I don't care about. That's <laughs> true. You know, it's funny. I, so I'm trying to get involved more in TikTok, which I swear by. Um, Instagram, I'm still trying to figure out in terms of what kind of content I, I'm going to put up. Last night, we were at a restaurant, so I just put up some food. And then today, I almost never stopped for fast food on the way to the show, but I stopped. And I was thinking about all these. There's, there's a ton of bearded fat asses on TikTok who do fast food reviews, and I love them. I think they're, they're awesome. And I'm like, I'm going to do a quick video. And I lost interest in it in like 20 seconds. I'm like, I just want to eat. Yeah. Well, like, I don't want to take pictures. I don't want to do frame by frame. Plus, I, you know, I was trying to drive. Then I got stuck in traffic. I'm like, I don't know how people have the patience to do freaking food advisory videos. See, like I, I tried to get on Instagram Reels, and that was going to be my substitute for TikTok, you know, because <laughs> of China. And so <laughs> I, I don't have TikTok anymore. And <clears throat> the problem is, is you end up seeing the most of whoever posts the most. And the people who post the most doesn't mean it's the most interesting. No. It, in fact, it typically is not. And so I'm sitting here, and I get on the Instagram, and and whatever pops up on my on these stories, I'm like, why are you filming this? And and worse yet, why am I watching you film this? It's about nothing. So it promotes nonsense because the more you post, the more you get. It doesn't matter about the substance of the post, you know. And so yeah. that's I just got a problem with the that. first thing. First thing this morning, I opened Instagram and saw Steve's tacos. So that was wonderful. I did see that. That was uh, one of the best things. By I the saw. way, is that that. Restaurant has a location in North now. Yeah, yeah. I went to is Juan's it? Flaming, and oh, okay. uh, they opened a, a spot in the North. It's funny. I didn't give them a pop on Instagram, but I did it on the air. Um, yeah, they have a spot in the North. I mean, it's way up. It's up by Aliante, and it was good. You Spacious, said, very you, new. You said it was Juan's. I didn't. I you mean, didn't I didn't, tag him. Yeah, I didn't mention the whole name, yeah, but yeah. You know, I tried to do it a little creatively. I don't know if it was or not. <laughs> um, so, looking at say TikTok for bloggers, there's a lot of good food bloggers around Vegas. They do yeah. a good job. Um, I'll give this guy a pop. I, I don't know who he is, but he seems to be everywhere every day filming something around Las Vegas and getting cool shots. He's under, like, the Vegas Poly C show. And 
His stuff is good. And I would assume, I haven't looked to see if he's done a video on it, I would assume with the news, well, where are we with the latest news now on the Cannabis Lounge thing that a guy like that would be out front because people are watching nationally and then you, hey, you start tagging marijuana, weed, lounge, that's going to get you a lot of hits. Yeah, I mean, the, the county has approved the first three uh, for licensure. So, I mean, we're just, we're right on the precipice of the, that all getting started. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's going to be wonderful for the city. I think it's, I think it's good to have them. Uh, the consumption lounges in place. I think it's good financially. I think it's good for, you know, breathing fresh air in parking garages again. <laughs> That's fresh air being carbon, you know, good old-fashioned carbon monoxide instead of, you know, residue. Um, they'll be in consumption lounges. So I, I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be great monetarily. I think people, um, when we really start blossoming and getting some consumption lounges that become destinations, I think it'll help tourism too. Are psychedelic lounges next? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, you know, being, you know, we're we're natives here. You know, like I think, I think that's the biggest thing to be. You know, uh, but you know, I'm old now and I got kids, and I, I'd, I'd kind of rather not have it. But You've it, gone I, soft. But it's but it's Vegas, right? Like, for my for my two cents, no rules. You know, just. Whatever personal responsibility for whatever your actions are. We were just discussing Aaron Rodgers is now on board of he's doing the rounds of pitching legalizing of psychedelics. Is okay. this something that could happen or will happen in your mind? I think like microdosing you might see. Um, I think there was actually an effort in Utah this year, of all places, to legalize microdosing based on, you know, scientific research that talks about some of the benefits. Um, a little too risky for me, but, yeah, I think, you know, from my per- my perspective you know there there are countries we can look at that have fully legalized recreational drugs um but still maintaining stiff penalties if you do crimes or you know hurt somebody else as a result portugal comes to mind um and so if there's a place where that kind of stuff can work i think it is vegas to try it um i also think you know, if we're going to go that whole way, and I think we're actually going the opposite of all these ways, but I'll say if we're going to go that whole way, I, I think I've told you guys, prostitution should be legalized in Clark County. All, all freedoms like that. If you're making decisions of what to do with your body and your time and your money, um, as long as you're not hurting somebody else, you should be able to do that. Um, but like I said, as we mature as a city, I think we're actually trending away from all those things. You were in the legislature. Why, why isn't this done? Oh, I said it. <laughs> I said it, bro, done? man. Please, please. It, it, it's a funny conglomerate of support that you get when you say something like that in the legislature. It's bipartisan support and bipartisan opposition. Um, you know, there's just the lines are not on the DR red, blue, you know, red, blue sort of field. It's just some people believe in those types of freedoms and some people believe it's the worst thing you could ever do the poor children what's going to happen to the children silver sevens justin watkins nice enough to come down and uh, visit with us at the set at flamingo and paradise we got the nba draft going down around five o'clock so we'll be thrown to the podium live during the uh, draft while we're on until six o'clock so I thought a lot of the reason that uh, the PGA agreed to just give up against the Saudis and take their money and get purchased, which in, in essence, that's what it is, was the legal end of it. Um, there are some, a few more legal hoops to jump through. There's still some existing lawsuits. Yeah, nothing against the PGA, though. I mean, from their perspective, the PGA is okay. Um, well, maybe okay, right? Um, 
Congress might have something to say about this, and it'll be interesting to see what their investigation uh, and conversations unfold, uh, whether or not Congress will allow a foreign you know, entity to own PGA, I think will be a real question, especially in light of now we hear that other foreign dignitaries and, you know, billionaires are trying to get into other professional sports in the United States. Uh, we don't have that yet. And so I, I'm, I'm glad that Congress is looking into it. You know, what's the impact? But uh, to get back to your other question, there are uh, some defamation lawsuits that exist out there. Um, namely, Patrick Reed's got one. Uh, against every journalist that said anything bad about Liv, which is, I, I've looked at his case, and it's not a case I would like. I wouldn't want to take it because in, I believe, every circumstance that I've seen cited in his pleadings, Patrick Reed was never even referred to. It was just dumping on Liv as Saudi-funded and what that means or you know where that money comes from or what you know the Saudi you know fund has participated in you know outside of you know corporate investments and uh, so I just don't I just don't think that they're going to be able to number and it's against all journalists so I don't think they're going to be able to prove actual malice for personal gain I don't think that he was individually harmed right Liv got a bad rap, and then he went and signed with Liv. So he sort of took himself to the damaged goods, not the other way around. So uh, I, I just don't think he's, he's in a good spot for, for winning those lawsuits. Two things on that. One, the things that you just mentioned were just true, right? I mean, so truth, truth would be a defense. But also, if you were to say, you know, as you said, it's about Liv. If you said these guys that went to Liv... Like yeah. now you're talking about individuals, but you're not naming the individual. Does that change kind of the the complexion of the case? Yeah, I mean, I I, th I think you you can, but I mean, I think there's you know on these defamation cases we always talk about specifically what the words mean and how they can be interpreted. And you say these guys going to live. Is he talking about Greg Norman and the administration of Live? The uh, you know the the people over there who are recruiting the golfers. Does he mean the golfers? I mean, what do they mean by that? So I think there's some ambiguity there. I think we all think they probably mean the golfers, uh, but I don't, it wasn't stated as such. And in none of them was Patrick Reed specifically called out. But, yes, truth is, is an absolute defense. But I think some of the headlines were, I think, a little bombastic, and I don't know that necessarily had full-on truth. I think they were a little bit of... I don't, I don't maybe embellishment's the right word or dramatized. They were they were overly dramatized. Were they? I mean, I th the things that you said just now, as you're listening, I'm like, yeah, true, true, true. Right, but like, it's like how like the one of the ones that was on Bloomberg was something about the Saudi fund and how they had had interactions with the victims' families of 9/11 and that they were going to use this purchase as a basis to get into their. Home, it, it, it had an odd. That's a long it, headline. It, it, it was long. <laughs> number one, it was long, but the implication was something a little bit more than factual. It was an implication of the intent of what the purchase right. was about. Two minutes here, and we carried over. We need to. Uh, when we talked about EA Sports and the new college football game, uh, bringing back the college football game with the real players, offering each player five hundred bucks, nothing in the future. You said, you know, don't worry about it. Just take the money, five hundred bucks. You know, 
your etched in history. Uh, something called the Brander Group is going after EA Sports. What's this about? Yeah, so if there, there's a cause of action known as intentional infliction, or I'm sorry, a, a intentional interference with contractual relationships. So if Adam and I have a contract, that means um, Adam's going to supply me, uh, you know, 100 widgets every week for next five years, and you were aware of that contract, and you come in and say, hey, I know Adam's got this deal for 100 widgets. I'll give you 120 widgets for the same deal if you break your contract with him. And so I do. Adam would have a cause of action against you for enticing me to break our contract. Okay? So what the Brander Group is saying here is we have licensing deals with universities and players that say that all licensing must be done with us. And EA Sports, you threw it out there as this opt-in for any player. All they got to do is opt-in for this 500 bucks, and they are now in the game, and they are licensed. You have done this in order to end around us. To which I say, no, they didn't, because you could, that, that player could still with, be with the Brander Group. They could still opt-in and then pay the commissions to the Brander Group. What the Brander Group doesn't like is that they don't get to negotiate the deal and there's no guarantee. They didn't make them break the contract with Brander Group. There's nothing in that that makes them do that. So I, I don't think it'll be successful. This hour in Reno and Vegas is brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Justin Watkins is here with us. They've got offices in uh, Reno and Henderson and Vegas. You can call from anywhere in the state of Nevada, 766-1400. Make sure you dial 775 in the north. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins. Only on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Justin is here with us at Silver Sevens. Adam Hill, Mateo, working the set. Security. Very aggressive young lady came up and wanted a t-shirt, so Mateo kind of gave her a look. Um, I don't know how much you've been listening lately, Justin, but we haven't done a whole lot of post-vote reaction on the A's in the stadium. Um, I don't believe we're mature enough to bring on especially guests yet. There's a lot of lingering anger. Yeah. So I was just asking about Steve Yeager, and I'm like, we got to wait on that one for a little while. Um, you know, and a lot of it, we talked about it for weeks and weeks. A lot of it was we don't hate baseball. We don't hate the idea of a stadium. We don't hate the idea of bringing baseball here. Um, we wanted an expansion team, an owner we could trust. I, you know, I trust the Rays and their organization more. I heard this this morning over on Raider Nation Radio 920, and maybe I'm way off on this. This was uh, Willie Ramirez was on, and Vinny, uh, one of the football insiders on the station and works with Adam over at the paper, was talking about the A's and you know the, the, the trust level. Don't you think Lombardo uh, sat them down and said, look, we're sticking our neck out here for you? Yes. Uh, you yes. have to come here and start acting like a big league uh, team. 100%. Oh, I mean, I don't doubt I mean, that. You, you, are, you, are, you are in, we'll say, politics. You are a public servant. Do conversations like that happen where yes. Lombardo would talk I mean, to I, John Fisher and go, hey, if we give you this money, you got to try to compete? I, yes, I believe conversations like that happen. Do I know if it happened in this case? No, but I would be shocked if it didn't happen, right? Like if really? that, hey, you know, if we're going to do this, I need a commitment from you. But to, to Senator Ira Hansen asked a great question is like, why should we believe that you're going to treat our community any better than you're treating Oakland right now? In, in different words, but 
that's where his line of attack was. I'll, I'll go further than what you intro this by saying is, is this. I think the deal in black and white, the paper, the, the public contribution here is a good deal. They did a, they did a good job. I mean, so much of that money gets paid back. Most of it's a loan. The, the actual out-of-pocket is like 155. It's not bad. That's really good for a $1.5 billion stadium that our stadium authority has. That, there's that, but you just mentioned my issue. Yeah, but wait, wait. But, 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 huge but. It's, the, it's what team we're doing it for that, that I, I just can't get on board for. That's not me. The, the number that you just threw out is the one that has bothered me consistently, and I've still not heard an answer on. Okay. I do not believe the A's are actually contributing what they're saying they're contributing. I don't think it's going to come close to what they said. I think they're count- – first of all, I know they're doing this. They're counting the free land that they got. Hey, that's our contribution, which is preposterous. If you actually sold it as, you know, it's a – it's going to end up being a $900 million, $850 million stadium, and we're paying half of it now, I don't think it would have got the same treatment. I think people would have said, wait, what is that? I don't believe they're contributing that much money. Yeah, Like, they- tell us that you're – we want to see the check and whatever whatever less than 1.1 billion that you're paying that you're we're taking that off of our deal too because right. I don't believe that they're spending that much money on the stadium. I think you're probably right, but but even that being said, again, getting you know you're not getting major league baseball without a public contribution. They're not doing it. Like we know that. So whether it was an expansion team or not, there had to be a public component to it, yeah. right? A public component of 155 is pretty dang good. No, I don't. I don't. I. Right? I so, don't disagree with you on that. You know, that's that's where I'm at. I think. I think our legislators actually did a good job of putting the screws to the deal itself. I just don't like what they were dealing for. Now, the reality is, is if we got an expansion team, I think it would probably we would probably had to contribute more. But I also would have been willing to yeah. contribute more yeah. to get an expansion. Because the whole thing that was lost in the conversation to me, and, and nobody really went to it, and, and it's a perfect example because the Golden Knights just won the Cup, is, okay, everybody who's on board is saying this is a good financial deal. We'll put heads in beds. We're going to increase tourism. It's going to pay for itself. And then some. We're going to get some tax surplus as a result of all the people that are going to come in town to watch these games, which has some fuzzy math to it. But let's assume that that's true. Would we feel the same about our community today and what Las Vegas represents today if the Golden Knights didn't have a Stanley Cup, didn't have a winning season, and anytime you went to a game, it was 80% visitor fans? Would we feel the same about ourselves? I, I think the answer is no, we wouldn't. I think VGK and what they did and how they won and bringing the cup here changed the way the city thinks about itself. And I want more of that, not less. And if... The A's are banking on 80% or 50% or whatever percent, more than than not, of visitorship, and that's the justifiable basis for us contributing money. I don't want any part of that. That doesn't further the civic goals that I have in spending tax dollars. But, you know, I didn't run again, so I don't get a vote. I guess to the same point, would you rather see full of visiting fans or – Half empty, which is what we're going to see. Oh, right. I mean, I, I don't know because if <laughs> I don't know, I, I, I mean, I don't want, I don't want us as taxpayers to, to have the burden. So I want tickets well, to will. sell. We will, you know. 
So if it, I guess I'd take a full touristy stadium, I guess, yeah. you know, because we're already in the deal. Yeah. But I, I, you're, you're giving me two options, neither of which I want. <laughs> right. You know, sure. which is why I don't want the deal. Sure. Explain that taxpayer part more that Adam just mentioned. Oh, well, we're going to have to make up for what? If the tax revenue generated at the ballpark, um, you know, sales tax, live entertainment tax does not meet the payment thresholds on our bonds, then it comes from the general fund. That's and that's that's us. And the the proposal of what they expect is silly. Yes, it's silly. I agree. And, and I sell out like, every year for the next twenty years, right? Like, and and, and if on. you look at if you look at people that break down attendance, and they they point out very rightfully, you don't look at average attendance in these stadiums because so many stadiums around MLB will have like twenty thousand, twenty thousand, fifty thousand. Yep. That's how you get to your average number of around thirty three, thirty four. You're like, well, thirty three, thirty four. We only have thirty thousand. We're gonna sell. no. You can't get more than 30,000 if your capacity is 30,000. Yep. So that means you can't have those big numbers to offset the little numbers. That's, right. That's obvious to anybody who would take one second to think about it. Yep. And I don't feel like that was done. So, like, again. Uh, I, I think see, Senator Harris did that. I think she went down that road with them uh, and basically said, hey, if right off year one, if you miss one game of being a sellout, we're behind. Yeah. And we'll never catch up because you've projected a sellout every game for 20 years. So it just takes one game, and now we're behind. We'll never catch up. Right. And you know they admitted to that. You know, but like I said, it was we, you, and I. We had conversations on air and off air. It was a done deal as it got started. You know, we already knew it was going to happen. Um, so I mean, from that perspective, I think I have to be pleased with the deal that we ended up having shoved down our throats, as opposed to what it started at, which is five hundred million and. No protections whatsoever, no stadium authority, no government land, right, but still tax exemptions. Because if they got to tax exempt the property tax and they owned the land and then later got to flip it, that would have been worse. Justin Watkins, former public servant, was an assemblyman for a couple of years here in the state of Nevada. 766-1400 is the number at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. We'll wrap this portion on this one. Uh, even though we all talked about the fact that, hey, it's going to happen, I was still really disappointed. And I'm still, I'm not going to say devastated by it. I don't like the process. Right. Like, it hurt my confidence in just legislators and what people, what, you know, what those people do in terms of listening to people on the ground. And I'll tell you what, now I've, now I've sort of, not, not to be a, a smart ass, but I actually, I wrote it out and I took it out of the rundown. I'm, I see some of the stuff going on right now with Social Security. And the fact that, you know, we could lose it down the road. And, like, my real cynical thought is, like, a lot of these people who just voted or some of these people who just voted this through and didn't listen to the people are going to be the same people 10 years from now who advance because that's all this is is self-preservation and being a politician. They will advance to a federal level, and they'll be the same people who take away my Social Security. Uh, I'll just disagree with you I, on I, one I'm point. Just, that, I, that, 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 I'm just that, I'm disappointed. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. No, no, I'm disappointed, too. I don't, I, don't and I, trust, I don't trust anything right now. Yeah, I'm disappointed, too, and I knew it was going to happen, but I still was disappointed when it actually did happen. And, you know, we were all on a text string where we're like, ah, you know, somehow thinking that it wasn't going to happen, um, but all the while knowing it was. I, I just, I'll take issue with one thing, the, the thought that, this was all about self-preservation. I don't agree with that. Not at our state level. Having served in there, I don't believe that's what drives this. I don't believe that most people 
go into the state assembly or the state senate with the purpose of advancing or just being reelected. I, I really don't. I think the majority of people who are up there are trying to do a good job. I really think that, that that's true. I think there's a ton of people up there who think that being a good steward of tax dollars means that if an investment gives a return, that that is being a good steward without any other analysis. And I, I just, I'm not one of those people. Like, I won't just invest, even if you tell me that that's going to produce more tax dollars for our state, um, just because. They, all of our elected leaders get caught into the same funnel of information, which is we need to diversify the economy. We need to bring in higher paid jobs, more professionals. And when you invest tax dollars to do those two things, it's good for all Nevadans. That's what you get told over and over and over and over and over again. And when you then throw the A's in that, in this box, and you're being told our new economy is sports, which is really not any different than the tourist economy, right? It's not. But but they're being told this is diversification of the economy. They believe it. So I don't think that they don't disbelieve it and they're doing it cynically to self-preserve. I believe they believe it. Justin Watkins, Legal Insider, continues with us. We'll uh, close coming up on a story out of Florida where minor league baseball players seem like they're getting cheated out of some money. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas Legal Insider, Justin Watkins. Only on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. You missed the big NBA news of the day. Chris Paul going to the Warriors from the Wiz. We got the draft coming up. We'll uh, join in progress after Cofield and company. We'll throw to the podium. If we get some picks in the 5 o'clock hour. So come on down here. Happy hour still going on at Silver 7s. We're at the Bud Light Sports Lounge, and the draft will be on here in the lounge with Cofield and company. Justin Watkins, nice enough to come down and join us here at the set. Uh, we told a Ron DeSantis story yesterday involving his take on baseball and, and NBA athletes. and uh, There's another sports story involving uh, Governor Ron out of Florida, and it involves minor league salaries, minor league baseball salaries, uh, David Pacman is actually a pretty good commentator on social media, on TikTok, on Instagram, and we'll let him roll out the story here. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has signed a bill into law that will stop Florida minor league baseball players from earning minimum wage. There is an exception for minor league baseball players where they don't have to be paid the minimum wage. The argument that's being made is the following argument. Minor league baseball players get free housing, free transportation, and free breakfast, as well as the opportunity, if they make it to the major leagues, to make multi-generational wealth. Therefore, they should be exempt from the laws of minimum wage. All right. Ari's steaming. Uh, he's so mad. He was so mad yesterday at, at uh, Ron DeSantis. All right, tell tell us about the story because when I when I heard it, I read it. I was like, well, I don't know. I, maybe he's doing the right thing. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not one to to pass up an opportunity to dump on DeSantis, but that that's not what happened here. I mean, all he did was bring Florida in line with federal law. Federal law. Congress exempted minor league baseball players. Uh, from the minimum wage, and the federal minimum wage is seven and a quarter. Florida minimum wage is ten, moving up to fifteen over the course of the next five years, goes up a buck a, a year. And so he's just said the same exemption that applies federally is going to apply in this state, which is what every state presumably should do, will do, has done, um, because why? Why wouldn't you? 
you know, you, you want consistency amongst minor league baseball teams all throughout the country. Federal government's already spoken on the issue. Um, and so I, I, I don't, I don't see the, I don't see the big deal. I mean, if you, if, I mean, I see the big deal of the argument that they shouldn't be exempted, but that, that argument needs to be made to Congress, not on the state level. All right, quick pop here. I try to do this all the time, and I get crapped on, and I run it by parents too, and they, and they rip me. Um, I want to tie together two things. Well, I'll mention a story. Dylan Raiola, his father played in the NFL. He's the top quarterback prospect in the next class. He committed to Ohio State, then he decommitted. He's an Arizona kid. He's gone to two high schools in Arizona. Now he committed to Georgia. Now he's going to go for his senior year to another high school, his third, and play football in Georgia. I'm not going to sit here and go kids these days. I actually wean a positive out of this and almost a jealousy. I actually think a lot of kids, this generation, like we talk about the transfer portal all the time, I actually think this generation is more adventurous and open to moving to different jobs in different areas than the rest of us ever were. I think there's a lot. I think part of uh, older people, and I'm going to even talk about, you know, uh, Gen Xers, my, my group, where they're like, oh, kids these days, no loyalty. And I think a lot of that is there's a little bit of jealousy in the back of people's heads who get stuck in one area or stuck in one job and are unwilling to take a chance. Am I, am I making too much of a connection there? Hey, I mean, I like, you know, Mr. Sunshine over here. I mean, to me, I don't think it has anything to do with the kid, right? It's the parents and driving force. I mean, it's not like the kid's like, hey, I want to go, you know, I want to transfer. Maybe he does, but I think in reality. I mean, once, guys are in, once guys and girls are in college? And they're like, yeah, I'll roll the dice and go from, you know, what's her name? Haley Van Lith is like, yeah, I'll go from Louisville to LSU. You know, other guys, I'll move oh, across I, country. I, like, I, I don't think – there's a lot of people in my generation and older, um, and, and Adam's actually in my generation. He denies it. But who have, are just afraid to do stuff like that. Well, and I think, I, I think the generations are changing, right? You know, it, being a good worker back in the day was about putting your 30 years in and getting your gold watch. My generation, that's not how we saw it. It was about productivity and then, I, you know, finding new opportunities. We didn't have the same sort of length of loyalty. This next generation is even shorter. So um, I, I applaud that. Yeah, more experiences. Go for it. Just tired of hearing people go, I hate my job. Yeah. Leave. Yep. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Well, as I said earlier, this has been a big uh, day for folks with a uh, legal background, right? Xavier Pope, attorney out of Chicago, regular guest on Thursdays. Justin Watkins was just here. We are talking about some of the local stadium uh, deals and the vote and all that and a little politics as well, what the local politicians were thinking and pushing through the uh, $380 million deal. And wanted to talk about the, uh, the future of pro sports for the athletes and the organizations in this block of the show in Cofield and Company here at Silver Sevens and uh, – Lee Steinberg is nice enough to join Steve and Adam here in Vegas. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. So we have a ton going on here. This uh, I'll, I'll get your view from you know the outside perspective. I'm sure you know a lot about Vegas and you've been here before. That uh, boy, the city's changed a lot. Uh, Adam and I have been here for over 25 years. I've been doing radio here for basically 25 years, and the city has changed so much. I wonder what your view is of the city and sports, and especially major league sports. Well, uh, I, as a kid, went to Las Vegas when they had the Tropicana, the Sahara, and the uh, El Rancho Vegas. And uh, if you had gone to sleep at that point and you were Rip Van Winkle, you would have woke up in shock because all of a sudden you've got a population of 
650,000 and a market population of 2 million. And for years and years, there was a uh, virtual Berlin Wall ban against any professional sports being in Las Vegas. And, oh, my God, since 2018, how fast that has changed. And uh, uh, it's it's not the biggest sports market because New York and Los Angeles are like Noah's Ark. They have two professional franchises in baseball, basketball, football, hockey, and soccer, but it's hot. And um, the fact of the matter is you add to that population the tourist population, and uh, you got to give it to the Golden Knights front office. If you had uh, laid out the concept that you were going to sell ice hockey in the desert, um, that would have been a big non-starter, but somehow they did it. And so that market has really uh, exploded, and the A's will come, and then there'll be an NBA team, and uh, because it's a big basketball city. Uh, and you have boxing and, and UFC, uh, and uh, people come wanting to do things, and now the local population alone is enough to support all the sports. So it is hot and happening. Do you, I mean, obviously you're talking to uh, a lot of these big executives around the sports world all the time. Do you remember maybe the first time you heard somebody say, hey, Las Vegas could be a sleeping giant. Like, somebody needs to go there. Do you remember any of those early preliminary conversations? I used to tell owners and commissioners that all the time, huh. that um, you had a, a – people weren't paying attention to the amount of residents living in the area. They just thought of it as a church location, but – it's ample size. I mean, if you compare metro, uh, the city size, it's about 25th. But if you compare it to, <clears throat> look, some of the cities that have sports, Jacksonville, which is the 55th largest market in the country, Cincinnati, Las Vegas is bigger than Pittsburgh. I mean, you could just go through it. And and that city's uh, come of age, and, and there's... Lots of investment capital there to to build new stadia and arena, and they're going to get state of the art stadia and arena because the new ones being built have all the ancillary revenue uh, possibilities with naming rights and uh, jumbo scoreboards and signage and and uh, luxury boxes and premier seating. Um, so you get all the bells and whistles of the modern stadia there. Um, Las Vegas doesn't have to update old stadia. He builds new ones. Legendary agent Lee Steinberg joining us here, Cofield and Company from Silver Sevens on this Thursday. We talk about the teams and, and the, the market exploding. From the individual player's perspective, we know players have lived here forever. I mean, it's very favorable uh, from a tax perspective, obviously a great uh, city to live in in terms of the weather and the golf and everything else. Um, how much, how much I guess, will it help to continue to draw star athletes to come play here? And how much would you, know, would you tell players, hey, look, it, it, you can maybe even take a little less money because you're going to make more because of cost of living and the tax situation in Vegas? Our tax rate here in California, top state, is 13.1%. So you can start with that. Um, also start with the fact that, that the weather is, is a little bit hot in the summer, but it's, but it's 
the type of weather where you can work out all year long. And really, if you get away from the strip, it's a family-type uh, community. And I think they're going to be very active in being able to recruit um, uh, players and free agency to come there. And I think it's going to very quickly uh, become one of the three or four most desirable places to go to. I mean, people love to be in the California cities and Arizona um, and Texas, but, but Las Vegas is going to be right there, and you have all the entertainment and and everything else. And um, even though they went through the bad COVID, that economy is pretty recession-proof because people come from all over the world out there. As long as they can find enough water in the desert, they'll be all right. Lee Steinberg's with us here on Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. So you've got your annual Sports Agent Academy coming up in July in Vegas. Tell us about that and what's the mission of the meetup? To uh, educate the next generation of sports professionals that want to either be agents, but it's also applicable to working for a team, a league, a conference, um, uh, sports marketing, branding. And we teach specific skills, first of all, how to, be ethical and run a good um, uh, principled uh, practice and how to use sports to make a difference in a positive way in the world. But then particularly how to negotiate, how to recruit, how to brand and market, what NILs are all about, uh, and the revolutionary change that's made uh, in college sports, how to set up a charitable foundation, how to do damage control, and we have them do actual exercises. Uh, and then um, last year we did it, and, and uh, we're lucky enough to have the GM of the Raiders do a session with us and do a tour. And this year it'll be the head of uh, PR and marketing. Very nice. Very nice. Lee Steinberg's with us. The Academy's coming up in July. How do people get involved if they're uh, qualified to be involved? Um, they just go to steinbergspeaks.com All right. uh, and sign up. And we have a special rate for students, which is half the rate. But people have gone on from this to be the president of uh, Showtime Sports, uh, counsel for many professional teams. I mean, um, we're going to teach a methodology that works not just for agency, but works for any career you'd want to have in sports. I wanted to ask you about a couple athletes, get your opinion on what they've done and what they're doing. Um, I don't know if you've ever worked with an athlete who got into uh, ownership in a major league, you know, pro franchise, but we have Tom Brady coming in, you know, going to be part of the Aces and wants to be part of the Raiders. What do you think of Brady's efforts here and what are the challenges and uh, in terms of an agent, like what would be your role in that sort of gig? Would be to figure out how much of a team you can own. With. I remember these, Teams go for billions of dollars, and so you're, the athlete's not buying in. I had the first uh, retired athlete in years, Ron Cherry, owned, uh, had an equity position with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Currently, Wark Dunn, former running back, owns a piece of the Atlanta Falcons, and Ray Childress owned a piece of, of uh, the Houston Texans. Patrick Mahomes owns a bit of the soccer team, but he also owns uh, a bit of the Royals. So um, it's, it's nobody could be a better resource, and no one could be a better uh, a potential minority owner than someone who plays. 
Um, in other words, every part of what it takes to build a winning organization from scouting talent to coaching talent to uh, understanding marketing and all the rest of it, Brady knows in spades. And uh, most people feel like he's um, the the greatest player to ever play in the NFL, and so he's going to have plenty of insights. It's he. It's not just a name. He can add a lot to them. I'd bring him in the draft room. I'd bring him in uh, to evaluate free agency tape. You know, you you'd have him. He'll be an inspiration for the actual current players. Um, so I think it's a great thing. Okay, uh, I, I thought this one was really interesting. I definitely wanted to get your expertise on this. What are your thoughts on what Lamar Jackson did? Did it work out in the end? And, uh, you know, what does this mean for agents moving down the road since he was like, you know what, I'll do it myself? Um, if, if negotiating contracts was all that an agent did, yeah. um, you might have an argument because the salary cap is uh, uh, pretty lays out max and minimums, you know, and, and it's not the days of – old negotiating and holdouts that, that were most of my years. But um, but what I do is to listen very carefully to what an athlete's value system is, how they feel about short-term economic gain, long-term economic uh, security, uh, being a starter, being on a winning team. And you have to listen and then construct a plan to get somebody through scouting. So... You know, if you have Patrick Mahomes, which which uh, we do, and um, people are saying he's a third-round gunslinger, you have to design a uh, scouting system that's going to allow him uh, to move and then mentor him into that and then um, encourage him to do charity and community and, um, and lay down roots and then all the way into second career. So all those things come up, and I think part of the problem was that um, that you had Lamar Jackson wanting desperately to get the contract that he thought uh, Deshaun Watson got, and um, and they didn't want to uh, pay that. So when you get into the intricacies of how you put together a franchise quarterback contract, that both maximally pays the player but leaves enough cap room and cap space so that he can have a supporting cast that, that takes a Lamar Jackson there. That's where it gets tricky. And I'm, I'm no insult to him. I'm not sure how much he understood about those structures because it's difficult if you've been representing players for 50 years. Lee Steinberg's with us. Lee, I, I'm really up against it, but uh, in, in just a question I wanted to ask um, in the last 30 seconds here. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is going – he's part of the uh, the quarterback documentary that's on Netflix. Do you guys get involved in stuff like that? Does he come to you and say, hey, is this going to be good for my career, good for my brand? Um, normally he'd look at that, but he'd also say, is this going to be good for the world? And, uh, in other words, is this going to be something that helps pro football? So, uh, and he's very shrewd about using his time wisely. Excellent. Succinct answer. We appreciate it. SteinbergSpeaks.com, July uh, agent meetup conference here. We'll talk more about it next hour. Lee, we appreciate the time so much. My pleasure. There he is. Lee Steinberg, legendary agent. I know you had a lot more, too.
I know you did. Got to fix the running back <laughs> conundrum. I wanted to ask him about. Uh, ooh, that's a good one too. Uh, maybe we'll have to get him on again. I wanted to ask him about the movie Air, because that was quite the deal that MJ and his family cut.